0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Well, this morning as we celebrate our Heavenly Father, we celebrate our Earthly Fathers, we, uh, we wanted to start a new series for the summer. Uh, the last couple of summers we picked a book of the Bible to hang out in, and so this summer we're going to spend several weeks in the Gospel of Luke. And we're calling it the risk. How many of you have done something that felt really risky? Show of hands, you've done something that felt risky, something that's scary. Somebody shout it out. What have you done that, that was risky? What was it? Yeah? Dog? Mountains? What else? What have you done? Anybody been skydiving? Show of hands, anybody been skydiving? Yeah, a few people. Not, not many. Uh, what else? Uh, last service, somebody said getting married was kind of scary. I was thinking about it today, I was like, what have I done risky lately? And for me, I, I don't feel like I've done something too risky lately, but I guarantee if Laura was answering, she'd say riding with me was a little risky. So we live off of 20, and so whenever, or off of Old Coming, across from Arbor Cross and so whenever we come out and want to get on 20, we have to make this hard left, and every time we do it, I see my life flash before me. <laughs> Any of y'all that live near 20, you know that feeling, Right. And so I, I, I'm a little riskier than Laura. She's over there in the passenger seat praying whenever I pull out. And uh, so th- we all do risky stuff. A few years ago, we, uh, we took a vacation, went down to the beach, and Laura talked me into going parasailing. Have y'all ever done this before? If you're not familiar with parasailing, it's this giant parachute, and they sort of, they, they put a vest kind of thing on you, and they sort of tie you to this deal. And then, uh, and, and then a boat starts going, and the boat pulls you up into the air, which it looks pretty. I mean, anytime I've seen people do it, I, I think that looks fun. That looks great. But the older I get, the more practical I become. Are you all that way? I start thinking through stuff more logically, though. When I was a kid, you would do anything. You're like, yeah, of course I would do that. Awesome. Woo, this is great. But now when I, uh, the parasail starts going up into the air, and it ends up being 300 feet in the air. And I'm looking down, I'm saying, there's just one little rope attached to us. There's this little metal carabiner thing that that could break at any moment. Do y'all have those moments? Have y'all had that? That's the way the fair is for me. We go to the coming fair every year. And when I was a kid, I loved all of those those roller coasters and stuff. Now I'm sitting there thinking, if this thing falls apart, where am I going to land? And then I'm thinking the Lord that I will go into shock and I won't remember any of it if it does fall off. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm crazy that way. Things that weren't a big deal now feel like risk to me. Well, the deal with risk is oftentimes risk paralyzes us. Anytime something stretches us, anytime something begins to get out of our comfort zone, one of the things that typically happens is we begin to play it safe. We begin to become rational. We begin to think, well, I'm not going to do that. I could never do that. that. There's too much danger. There's too much risk involved. And one of the areas of risk that I believe every believer is called to is to say yes to God. To whatever that may be, whatever that is that God's doing in our heart, oftentimes we begin to rationalize it, oftentimes we try to explain it away. And I believe what God's asking us to do is to position ourselves into the posture of saying, yes, God, yes, I will do whatever you've called me to do. Well, a couple that illustrates that is found in Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to follow along. Luke chapter 1, it's uh, one of my favorite stories in, in the gospel of Luke. In Luke 1, we meet a couple whose name is Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the reason why I like talking about them is because oftentimes they get ignored in Bible studies. Oftentimes in church, you don't hear a lot of messages about them. And yet this couple is pretty amazing. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there is a priest whose name was Zechariah. So we meet this guy who's a priest. In their day and age, a priest had basically a day job. So for him, he was probably a teacher in one of the synagogues, or he was a leader in his community. But then about one week a year, he would go to Jerusalem, and he would serve that week in the temple. And so every time you'd go to the temple, every time you'd serve that week, there's a lot of different jobs that you could have. So you didn't know until you got there what job you would have. Then it goes on to say in verse 5 that he had a wife, from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have sort of this little romance story going on here. We, we meet Zachariah and Elizabeth, but here's what I love about them, is they're basically ordinary people. Most people haven't heard of them, or if they've heard of them, it's just a, a blip on the radar. They, they, they don't really stick out in a lot of ways, and yet these ordinary people learned what it was to say yes to God. These ordinary people doing their ordinary life got to see God do extraordinary things. It says in verse 7, after we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, but they had no child. They had no child. And it would be easy to repass that, but in their culture, having no children is a big deal. In their culture, if you didn't have any kids, people assumed that something that in some way you've offended God. Because in their culture, you don't have assisted living. In their culture, you don't have nursing homes. And so if you're going to be taken care of as you get older, you need to have kids. And so when somebody didn't have kids, everybody assumes, well, you have ticked off God. And yet the Bible gives us some insight, doesn't it? It says in Luke verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, but they had no child. And then it goes on to tell us why. It says, because Elizabeth was barren. So is she able to have kids? No. It's not her choice. It's not something that she voted on. It's something that's just a fact that she is unable to have kids. Then it goes on to say in verse 7, and they were both advanced in years, which means they were what? They're what? They're old. Right? They're past the, the childbearing years. It's impossible. It is physically impossible for them to have a kid. And what happens in Luke 1 is in the middle of impossibilities, they say yes to God, and God does something powerful. Could it be this morning that there's something that you think God can't do that God is just waiting for us to ask? And so this couple begin to do a, a couple of things. If you're taking notes this morning, if you have one of the bulletins in the sermon notes page, I want to describe to you the elements of a life that says yes. And the first element that I want you to write down is number one, it is committed to a pure life. It's committed to a pure life. The posture of yes says, I am committed to purity. Let me show you where this comes from in their story. In verse 6, it says, And they were both righteous in the sight of God. To be righteous is a big phrase to say they're doing what is right they're doing the right thing they they're doing it and and a lot of times what happens in our society is we look at other people and we compare our righteousness to somebody else's righteousness we think well at least I'm not as bad as that person at least I'm not doing what that person's doing hey, hey I'm a pretty good person and so a lot of times we try to justify ourselves in the sight of other people but these, these guys, Zachariah and Elizabeth, weren't doing it. They weren't right in the eyes of other people. In fact, most people in their day thought they had ticked God off. Most people in their day thought they had offended God, so that's why they had no kids. But verse 6 says they're right in the sight of who? They're right in the sight of God himself. This couple was committed to doing the right thing. They were committed to a pure life. Now, the reason why I talk about that this morning is because for a lot of people, when you say the word purity, immediately people think of sexual relationship. I mean, in our society, whenever you say the word purity, oftentimes that's where we go, and that's certainly part of it. But what's happened, I think, for a lot of people, when you think about purity, a lot of people think about it as a, as a list of do's and don'ts. A lot of times purity is seen in a negative light. Don't do this. Don't drink this. Don't go to this place. Don't hang out with these people. Don't, 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 don't. And what happens is all of those don'ts get lodged in somebody's heart. And so when they think about purity, the first word they think about is don't. What am I not allowed to do? And the problem with thinking that way is that that's not very motivating. I haven't met too many people that are motivated by what you can't do. And so because of that, we see purity as something that's unattainable or something that's negative, something that that we shouldn't even think about, especially if you're married, especially if you've got kids, especially uh, further down the road. We stop thinking about it. But here's a great definition of purity. A definition of purity is living in such a way that God could step in at any moment and he could do the supernatural. Purity is living in such a way that God could step in at any moment and do something really, really powerful. Purity is not about all the don'ts in our life. Purity is, I can't do that. I can't go to that place. I can't talk to that person. Purity is a positive thing. Purity is, I want to posture my life. As I say yes, I want to live my life in a posture that if God wants to do something in me, he can do it. Now, one of my spiritual gifts is eating out. Are y'all with me? Do y'all like to eat out? Yeah, you do? Um, And uh, I'm a a Mexican food connoisseur, and so I could plan my week based on where I'm going to eat Mexican all week long. Anybody else there with me? There is something redemptive about cheese dip. I believe there's going to be cheese dip flowing in heaven. I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. I love Mexican food. I could plan my weeks based on Mexican food. And so I, I could pick this restaurant, I, I, and I've got something different I like at every one I go to. At one, I like chimichangas. At another one, I like uh, fish tacos. At another one, I've got the burrito bowl. I, I can plan my week based on what, what I'm going to eat. And so I, I love Mexican restaurants. And a lot of times I tell people the sketchier the better. Are you all with me on that? The sketchier the better. I, I love it uh, when the place looks shady. I like it when people are afraid to go in there. But let me tell you something. I'm adventurous, but one of the restaurants I go to a few weeks ago got a 37. I'm not that adventurous. <laughs> I'm not that adventurous. So my list of restaurants has <laughs> decreased, right? Well, the Bible talks about the fact, describes people that God will use. God says, I can use broken people. See, sometimes we think, well, I've got to have my life together. I've I, I got to be perfect. But God says, I can use broken people, but he doesn't use dirty people. And so I've been to a lot of restaurants where, where I've eaten there, and, and maybe the food's marginal, but I'll still come back, right? I'll still come back, I'll still come back, I'll still come back. I'm not too picky when it comes to that stuff, but I'm telling you, if somebody sets down my drink and I take a drink from that cup for the very first time, and there's some mysterious lipstick on the, on the edge of that cup, I'm out of there. I'm out of there. I, I, I'll, I'll eat a lot of places. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll drink whatever they bring me. But if that glass is dirty, suddenly my appetite is gone. Well, purity is about saying, I want to be a vessel that is usable by God. Does that make sense? One of the ways I think about it a lot is sometimes guys get in trouble. Y'all know this, right? On Father's Day, we're not supposed to talk about this, but guys, we get into the doghouse occasionally, don't we? Anybody? Or is that just me? All the wives are elbowing and pointing. So AJ and I, we're tracking together. So sometimes we get in trouble. And one of the places I see this illustrated is when I go to to Walmart late at night. Have y'all ever been to Walmart late at night? You got to take a camera with you. You never know what you'll see. But whenever you go to Walmart late at night, they always have that that refrigerator full of flowers. You all know what I'm talking about? They've got sort of the little floral stuff. And usually late at night, there's a guy standing in front of those flowers looking a little clueless. Have you all seen this before? And you know why he's standing there, right? He's in the doghouse over something. He's done something or forgot to do something, and so now he's in trouble, and he doesn't know what flowers to get. We don't, we don't know what the colors mean. We don't know the, the kind of fly, what that is, and so we just stand there clueless. Isn't that true? We just stand there clueless. That's why I think florists ought to start labeling flowers based on the sin we've committed. I think that would that'd go a long way, right? If you forgot your anniversary by these, if you you know, I think that would be awesome, But you play that scenario out. Here's this guy looking at flowers like, all right, I'm going to buy something. And so he grabs these flowers, and he goes back home, and every guy does the same thing because we're not very creative. He hides them behind his back. Guys, I think women have figured out this trick by now. Ooh, I wonder what he's got behind his back. Is it a million dollars? No, it's the flowers that were on sale, all right? Play that scenario out. If he shows up at home and says, hey, I got busted. I forgot. Here you go. Take these. How well would that go over? Good or bad? Pretty bad, right? That's not the way to do it. But can you imagine if for no reason the guy shows up at home with a dozen roses and says, I just picked these up for you just because I wanted to see you smile. All the lady said, I thought you all would be there for me. See, one's negative. I got caught. One's positive, I just want to see you smile. And I think purity is the positive side where we show up and say, I'm not here because I got busted. God, I'm not worshiping you because things are awful. God, I just want to live in such a way that I get to see you smile. That's what they're doing. They're they're living in such a way that God says, these guys are right. So number one, they're committed to purity. And then number two, they were consistent in their personal lives. They were consistent. Day in, day out, they do the right things well. Day in, day out, they do it consistently. It says in verse 6, and they are both righteous in the sight of God. And then the very next phrase says, and they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and all the requirements of the Lord. That phrase, walking blamelessly, is a description that, that literally means this is something they do over and over again. This is part of their daily life. This isn't, hey, I, I'm doing this just because I'm at church. I'm, I'm doing this just because it's my time to serve uh, for him in the temple. This is something that's part of their DNA. This is something that's part of their daily habits. And I think for a lot of us that's difficult because a lot of times we buy into this idea that every day doesn't matter. We think some days are more important than other days. The days that we get promoted, that's, a, that's an important day. The day that a child gets saved, that's an important day. Sunday rolls around for a lot of people, that's an important day. What we begin to think is that not every day is important. And so what that does is it leads to us living some days more intentionally, but most days reactively. Some days we are intentional in our walk with God. Some days we're intentional in the way that we live. Some days we're, we're living in such a way that God smiles on us, but a lot of days we're living reactively and just thinking, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter what I watch. It doesn't matter the conversations I have. But here's the thing for these two people. They realized that we must learn how to do the mundane, everyday stuff in a magnificent way. Does that make sense? That in our day-to-day lives, when, when, even when stuff feels routine, even when stuff feels boring, even when stuff, stuff uh, just doesn't seem like it matters, the secret of this kind of living is to say, I want to do the consistent thing. I want to do the mundane stuff in a magnificent way. It says they're walking blamelessly in the sight of God. They're walking blamelessly. Every single day they're doing the right thing. So they're, number one, committed to purity. Number two, they're consistent. And then big point number three is they are courageous in their prayer lives. They're courageous in their prayer lives. So here's what happens. So we meet this couple. They don't have a kid. We meet this couple that doesn't have a kid because they're both old. And she's not able to bear a child. And now his time comes up for him to go to the temple to serve. So here's what the Bible says in verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly offering, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So his job for this week is a big deal. His job is something that he probably only got to do once in his lifetime. And so for this week, he's inside the temple burning incense as a way of saying, God, we want our prayers to be sweet before you. And while he's on the inside, there are people on the outside praying. So all these people are coming to the temple, they're praying on the outside. But while he's on the inside, he's praying. My question is, what is he praying for? What's he praying for? Is he just praying, God, I, I pray that you'd help me to get through the day? Is he praying, God, I, I hope we'll just have a good day? Is he praying something simple like that? Well, listen to what, how the Bible plays this out. It says in verse 13 that while he's praying an angel shows up. Has that happened for you lately? (laughs) Can you imagine that? He's praying, he opens his eyes, and boom, there's this giant angel. And I love what the angel says in verse 13. Do not be afraid. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, angels aren't these little precious moments kind of angels. The, a- angels are giant. They're huge. They're, 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 they, they carry authority and a weight on them. And so, so he's praying and he opens his eyes and there's an angel. And the very first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid, Zechariah. And then I love this next phrase. He says, for your prayer has been heard. So while everybody's on the outside praying, he's on the inside praying But what's he praying for? Listen to what he says in verse 13. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So he's been praying that they would be able to have a kid, right? Now, it's easy to read past that. I mean, honestly, it would be easy to say, all right, that's great. How happy? Let's pray. Let's go. We're out of here, right? But I, I don't want us to miss this. Were they able to have kids? Why not? Because they're what? They're old. And, and the Bible says if that's not clear enough, she's barren. It is physically impossible for them to have kids. It's not a remote possibility. It's not maybe if we do this right, maybe if we get this right, maybe. We'll, no, it is impossible. And yet, they're still praying for God to give them a child. They're praying for something that is impossible to happen on its own. They're not just praying safe prayers. They're not just praying these little prayers. They're praying for something that only God himself could do. Are you all tracking with me? They're asking God, God, if you don't show up, God, if you don't answer this prayer, then we're done. And that's, that's challenging to me. Because really, I, I, I think back on my prayers this last week, and often my prayers are so small. Often my prayers are so safe. God, would you just give me a good day today? Amen. Well, how would I know at the end of the day if God answered that prayer? What's the definition of a good day? That I ate at a sketchy Mexican restaurant and lived to tell about it? That I wasn't there on the 37 score day? I mean, is that the answer to the prayer? Well, Lord, I pray that you'll be with my Aunt Sue. She's got a cold. As if God's up in heaven saying, I am all-knowing, and yet I didn't know Aunt Sue was sniffling today. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about those things, but what I am saying is we need to pray big prayers. We need to pray prayers that unless God answers them, we're done. We need to to not give up and say, well, I can't pray about that. That's never going to happen. We need to go before the throne of God and say, God, would you do this? God, would you work in this way? God, would you answer this prayer? Because honestly, there's a lot of things that we quit praying for. That person in our family that's far away from God, that early on we prayed, God, would you save them? God, would you change them? Honestly, somewhere along the way, we get so used to that that we quit praying for it. Or sometimes it's an an internal issue. There's a struggle, there's a sin that we thought if we were in better discipline, we thought if we tried harder and and, and worked better, we thought, well, maybe I'll be able to overcome it. And what we found is we don't have the strength to do it. We don't have the ability to break that sin. It's too powerful. And, and, And so we stopped praying for it. And God's saying, as you're praying, pray for that thing. As you're praying, pray for that child. As you're praying, pray for that family. As you're praying, pray for that thing that seems impossible. Because here's what happens for these two. They're praying a courageous prayer. And then the last point is number four. They got to celebrate the presence of life. And so as they pray this prayer, the angel shows up and says, Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a sign. Something impossible Then it says at the end of verse 13, and you will give him the name John. If you fast forward to verse 24, it says, and after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. They prayed for something that only God could do, and then they got to celebrate it when God did it. They got to celebrate it. They didn't just get a son. They got a son whose name is what? John. Do you remember what we call him a lot of times in church? John the, the Baptist. Do you remember who was probably the most important person he ever baptized? Remember? Jesus I mean, he's not just any son. He's the cousin of Jesus. His life message was repent, be baptized, turn, for Jesus is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. They didn't get just any son. They got the son that prepared the way for Jesus. Could it be this morning that God is wanting to do something in your life? Could it be that that God is trying to get us to say yes to the fact that God can do anything? God can do anything. The same God that spoke the world into existence. The same God that that created you and me. The same God that came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins. Three days later, beat death. That same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave, he places inside of us. And could it be that this morning God's asking us to say, yes, yes, God, I believe you could do anything. And if I believe God can do anything, what am I asking him to do? If you've got that little index card, if you filled it out, I'm going to ask you to pull it out. Maybe you didn't fill it out, but you know there's something in your head and your heart. Maybe you want to write it down now. But could it be that there's something that God is saying, trust me with it today? Could it be that God's saying, would you bring that to me today? So if you haven't written it down, I'm going to invite you to. But if you have, I'm going to invite us all across this room just to bow our heads for a moment. I ask you to close your eyes, and I want us to pray together. Because I believe God can do anything, and I believe God can step into some of the most hopeless situations and pull out something remarkable, something amazing.